Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. We're all facing new challenges, and if you want someone to talk shop with that sat in your chair, I've got you. If you want to become a legendary leader for the team you lead, hit me up and hit me up soon. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry. We've got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Ryan Staley, founder and CEO of Whale Boss. Ryan is the founder of the Whale Selling System, an innovative approach to cutting through the noise and winning with large enterprise sales opportunities, regardless of the vertical market or the experience of the salesperson. His system is used with some of the most iconic sales teams in the world right now, and I am pumped to have him join us and share some insights around this super important topic of enterprise selling today. Ryan is also the host of his own podcast, Sales and Marketing Built Freedom. And maybe even more interesting to me, he just produced a killer event, the Enterprise Sales Summit. I am pumped to be part of it. I'm going to be sharing it with each of you. And it's something that each of you need to register for because it goes live at the end of October. I'm fired up to be a part of that. I'm fired up to have Ryan with us. His mission is very similar to mine. He wants to help everyone learn to scale their results quickly. And and Ryan, I'm just so excited to have you. Welcome to the show. And thanks for joining us, man. Well, first of all, I absolutely love the intro. So I think I'm going to hire you to be my hype man from forward (laughs) to leverage that. And then second, yeah, really stoked to be on here, man. Just love, love what you're putting down. And it was really awesome getting an opportunity to get to know you through our interview because literally your interview was, was one of the best interviews of all the speakers. And there's 28 speakers. So great job, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm proud to be part of your event and <clears throat> we're going to be promoting it to, to everybody on the show for the, the next few weeks. And so we want to make it easy for everyone to benefit from that. You have great speakers, great topics, and the timing of it is perfect. And so I'm really excited for what we're going to talk about today, Ryan. So before we get into what we want to talk about, I always like to learn just a little bit. Why don't you introduce Whale Boss to our listeners and really what it is you do to help your customers? Yeah, definitely. So uh, one of the things that, that I saw transform not just my life, but the lives of the people that I led and the lives of the people that I work with was understanding how to get those, those deals that were 20, 30, 50, 150% of your quota with one deal. And mm. so it really opened up my life from a financial freedom and lifestyle freedom perspective. And I saw reps go from making 120,000 to 600,000 in 18 months as a result of it. So Dang. yeah, dude, it was, it was crazy. And in that, that particular situation, that rep had zero B2B sales experience. They went from B2C sales experience to that result in 18 months. Um, others, you know, I, I've worked with other folks where they were trying to essentially 
create more income because their kids were going to college and they needed to, to amp up their bills. And I helped, helped a guy level up two, 300K after being in the space for 30 years. So the reason why I'm telling you this is because it's really, really important for me that sales actually materializes into what the dream is being sold to us. So what I mean by that is, you know, you have the lifestyle freedom, you're not attached to your phone seven days a week trying to answer everything, and you're not grinding it out every single day. So, so that's kind of a little bit what I'm about. And my company actually supports sales executives. And I also do advisory and consulting for sales leaders and founders. So nice. All right. Well, that's cool. I, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. So let, give me a little more of your background then. You know, how'd you get into sales? I, I always love asking people this because there's, it's a small group of people that grew up saying, I'm going to be in sales when I grow up. And, 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 and maybe more important than that, how did that lead you to far, forming your own, your own firm? I think that's going to really set the stage for the rest of our conversation. Yeah, totally, man. So, so uh, sales, I, I, I mean, <clears throat> I started early. And really what happened was like my parents growing up, I always lived in a, a lower middle income family, like lower middle class. And my parents just crushed themselves and worked so hard as a, my dad was a cop and my mom was a teacher. So very wow. blue collar and they would work their ass off. And mm-hmm. to the point where they would work so hard and cared really about the results that they were creating for the community or for the kids. But the challenge was they never got paid more as a result of it. So for me, I'm like, hey, I started hustling. Yeah, I was doing paper routes. I was, uh, for Love some it. of you listeners, I was uh, Al Bundy for a period of time. I was selling shoes was one of my first jobs. <laughs> and, then, and then to take it from there, Rob, I, um, my first, I guess, real sales job, I would say, was um, I started selling yellow page advertising. Door to door. No way. Yeah, that was in college. And so that was humbling and really eye-opening because I would sell anything from like, a French restaurant to a surf shop in the middle of Evanston, Illinois, to like an importer and exporter to Africa. There's so many weird companies. So anyways, went from there. Then I worked at a company that was like a boiler room, essentially with inside sales. We're banging out 250 calls a day, outside sales. And then from there, went into sales leadership for the last 10 years prior to leaving and starting my own gig about five months ago. And really kind of that journey was interesting because I almost like, and I'm sure you know this, man. Do you, do you remember the days where you were working like 80 hours a week and just absolutely killing yourselves? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do, and do you, uh, and I, there's probably a lot of people on this call that are still doing that right now. Yes. <laughs> so that's what happened to me. And what happened is I almost lost everything. I almost wow. lost all my relationships with, with my family with my daughter, with my son, like, cause I was always working and always attached and focused on my phone. And so I decided that I was going to change the way I was doing things, work on myself from the inside out, wow. focus on big deals. And then that's what kind of started my journey about maybe seven years ago that like laser focus on enterprise deals. So to take you to the next step, man, and I'll, I'll quit yammering so you could get in the next piece is, uh, how I transitioned to my company is I basically got to the point where I was a top performer as a rep, top performer as a leader, and I wanted to contribute more and give back. It wasn't just about money anymore. And I, I saw the value in helping other people and how they lit up when their lives changed by learning some of these things. So that's really got what wanted me to shift, man. I didn't want to chase just money anymore and be part of the corporate machine. I wanted to be for the people and help them. 
what a great story. I want to talk and spend a little time on some of that at the end. I wasn't planning on it, but now that you said that, I think that's an important conversation on taking care of you and making sure that you're, you're oriented to what, what you really care about. I, I think that's going to be an important part for us to talk about. Uh-huh. So thanks for sharing. Let, let's shift back to enterprise selling. We're, you know, welcome to quarter four at the time that we're recording this. It's, we just have kicked off the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the fall push. This is when deals quite often, at least in B2B, a, a lot of deals happen right now. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, companies need them to. We started the year in a really goofy way, right? And we need to finish strong. And for a lot of people, these enterprise deals can make you or break you. Is that fair to say? Oh, totally, man. They Massive swings. I mean, it's been set out in just your year, but your career. So I, I found that people look at enterprise selling and I see it as a siren song. Back to that story of Ulysses with the sirens on the side <laughs> of, the, of the water. They're calling to the ships and the ships come and they get crashed on the rocks, right? And, and enterprise is so tempting to so many people, but there, I think there's more people that have crashed and burned that have really cracked the code. And so that's what I want to talk about. <clears throat> Can we talk a little bit about your perspective about why is the enterprise a good place to be? And maybe what are some things that people should be thinking about if they want to benefit from wins inside the enterprise in the next couple of months? Sure. So uh, the first thing is, is what, what I hear you saying is like, why is it the place to be? So let's hit that one first and then we can get into more of like kind of finishing off the year if that's cool. So in terms of the place to be, if you think about it from a sales perspective, just the evolution and the salaries charts match this and the income matches this as well, it's the top of the food chain for a sales position. Um, and I don't mean that like egotistically speaking, I'm just saying it has the largest complexity in terms of the amount of skills that you need to execute on to get to that level. So if you think of it, you know, SDR to AE to commercial to enterprise, there's a, there's a lot you got to learn. But it's not like a black art or voodoo magic. It's something that's totally and really easy to learn if you just know the right places to look. So why I loved it and why my team loved it is because you get exposure and basically get insights from these smartest people in the world and you're selling to them. Not only do you sell to them, but you know what makes businesses happen. And then at the same time, if you play your cards right, you can even form relationships with those people to the level where they could become your mentors. So you could have like the CEO of like a Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 company become your mentor if you do your job at an amazing level. So that was one of the reasons. And Rob, the other reason we are talking is um, from that perspective is, is I think like when you're when you're working with those people and you're around those people, like you just change as a person fundamentally grow so much by being around that level of people. So that's one of the reasons why I think it's the best opportunity to, to pursue in sales. So I love everything you said. And I have, I've been like writing down uh, things as you've been talking. I have a lot of questions already that uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait to get into. Let's, let's start with, we have a lot of people that listen to the show that are mid-market or even SMB sales leaders. And I know a lot of them want to get to the enterprise. How hard is it to shift from being in, in a segment different than the enterprise and actually getting there? It, it, how different is it? Is it hard? Do you have to make changes or is the, is the horse you rode at this place? Will it, will it get you there at the enterprise place? 
Yeah, so I, th I think the biggest thing to make the jump for the transition is like, you don't actually have to have the title to do that. Like every, every time I saw people do really well in this area, not every time, there's some people that get put into that position, but there's a lot of mid-market folks that are able to make that transition just by getting one large one in their patch, really analyzing what they learned from that or leveraging a skill set from, you know, like something like with my course, or there's other people out there that have that where you can kind of level up really fast. So you don't need the title to do that. You really just have to look at, and if you have a territory or a named account, a lot of times you could cherry pick the ones to focus on as a piece of your territory portfolio. And it's kind of like a stock portfolio, right, Rob? And yep. so in doing that, what you'll see is you'll get maybe have 20% of your account base focused on that if you're a mid-market rep on the deals that'll translate into enterprise deals. And a lot of those don't necessarily mean the big sexy names, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes, but more the dollar amounts that match what an enterprise deal would do. Then you work those deals, get that experience, get wins, and then it's really natural and there's a huge desire to promote those people to the next level. So that's what I would say on that. Did that answer your question? It's a good answer. I'm, I'm just thinking about these. I mean, there's so many people want to get into it. And, and I know that it, there's a lot of differences. And, and many people say, how is it different? It's just more licenses or it's just more of whatever. But I believe that the process probably ha has some differences to it for the most mm -hmm. part. Or, or do you think I'm wrong? I mean, it, it, does the process change when you're selling to the enterprise? And if so, how? Yeah, so, so there's a couple of lenses you got to look at this through. So there's full cycle enterprise reps, which are responsible for prospecting to close. Then okay. there's more like account management enterprise reps, where that would be like an Oracle or an SAP, like an enterprise software play, where they might have 25 named accounts and they just have to target those accounts, right? Yeah. So yeah. there's a couple of different lenses which you want to look at it through. And in terms of the process, what I would say, let's take full cycle, because that's going to probably hit on the majority of people, I would think, versus like a name account rep at like Oracle. So if you're full cycle, the way the process is different is basically what you're doing is you're taking the same exact approach to an extent, right? There's nuances that you would for a mid-market account, and you're replicating that across multiple silos in the company. And so I call those decision-making funnels. So... Um, if you're selling licenses to like a point solution, like let's say to a sales leader, like it's sales software, it's a lot simpler because it's, it's siloed in sales. Whereas if you're selling services like managed services or enterprise software, you're going to have to really approach it from three, four different, five different departments and not only sell from top to bottom in there, but then cross pollinate those departments. So I would say that's like the real critical difference. I like that. Okay, so let's, I want to dive into a couple of things that you've said, and I think that that's going to be a good conversation. One of the first ones that I wrote down is the cool factor or the opportunity that comes because you're selling to some pretty smart, pretty high-end leaders in an organization. It might be because the price tag's bigger. It might be because the impact of the organization is bigger. Uh, there's a lot of reasons it might be, but at the enterprise level, it often attracts more attention. My first question around that, what does that mean uh, for a salesperson in terms of business acumen? Um, does that change how business acumen plays into the sales opportunity versus if you're selling something maybe more transactional? 
Yeah, I, I think um, what happens in the enterprise space is the more you move up market is the more specific they expect you to be. So I think something critical from the business acumen perspective is really understanding the vertical and ownership dynamics of who you're selling to, because that's the invisible force that presses down influence on your C-level executives, that press force down on your VPs, which fall down on your directors. So if you know the vertical pressures, and I'll give you an example, let's say healthcare, right? Healthcare, and let's put COVID aside right now, but let's say healthcare, one of the big vertical pressures is security and compliance and HIPAA. Um, and so what that'll do is that'll influence what's important to those C-level executives. Retail has a different area. E-commerce is growing. Um, there's massive changes there. So by knowing those vertical areas, I would say is one of the most critical uh, components for business acumen. And then, you know, the other thing is like, you have to really know the table stakes are higher in terms of who you're selling to, what do they actually do? What are the top three things that they care about for their role? And what are their priorities in supporting information that's publicly put out there by the CEO in terms of their priorities in an annual report or in a press release? And that really helps you kind of level up that business acumen to interact with them at a high level. Yeah, I think as I've done most of my, I started my software sales career as an enterprise sales person, for sure. And what I, I want to get your take on this. My experience has been that when I'm selling there, and I think this actually is true in mid-market and SMB. And so, but I think it's particularly important in the enterprise level because the stakes are so high. The cost of a screw up is way higher. Um, I've had many people tell me, I'm thinking of one client, large enterprise client in the last year that we sold something to that he looked me in the eye. He said, my badge is on the line for this. Like I put yeah. my badge on the line for this one, Rob. And, um, and, and that's interesting when you hear that at a large company. Yeah. But, but I think that when you're selling, you've got to act and talk like a peer. You got to act and talk like um, you're sitting in the same chair versus acting and talking like a product slinger. Um, because I think that the nature of the conversation, it's got to be around impact to the business. Um, uh, that's what I found at least. And, and, you know, I, I think that if you can put yourself at a, at a place where you're talking to these people about things that they care about problems that they care about solving or results that they care about achieving, not because of what the value is, uh, from your product that you bring, but because the impact of that problem or the result to their operations that changes things pretty fast. And they start to view you as a peer, as a colleague. And at that level, I've really found that people put almost an intangible value on, well, not only is that product good, but we get access to this thinking that they have as well. Do you see anything to that? Do you disagree? I mean, have you seen stuff like that happen? Oh, yeah. I, I think you, you nailed it on the head there. And, and I'll give you a really tangible example. So there's the cost of the screw up piece that you mentioned. Yeah. We, um, and this sucked at the time, but it was one of the best things that happened. We invested, uh, it was, the contract was an $18 million contract we were working on. And wow, it was nice. one of the first, yeah, it was one of the first really big contracts. And it was an RFP, not, not like an easy RFP. Yeah. It was one of those ones with a lot of tentacles and a lot of stupid crap that you had to do to get through it. And so basically, Rob, we invested two and a half years on that sales cycle. And there was 24 people involved. And we got down to the final two. And we were the first loser. <laughs> And so that absolutely sucked. However, we took what we learned from that 
And like you're saying, the cost of the screw up is big. We learned from that screw up big. Yeah. And that helped get another 70 million in contracts because of what we learned there. And I'll tell you what we learned. Yeah, I want to know. The key thing that we learned there, and I, I think this is like my podcast episode number two, I go deep on it. But basically what it is, is we, this is why I came up with the whole thing of sales decision funnels. And you said not to waste the time. The number one thing to do is understand every single silo that's involved and priority rank them by who has the budget now, but also who has the budget after you implement. And that's really important because you can- Say that again, Ryan, before you go deep, say that again. That's a great soundbite. I want people to know, like, before you get into it, I I, want to have people like pause. I want to pattern interrupt right here. That is good. Say that again. Okay. The number one question or two questions are say, who has the budget now? And if it's, here's the thing. And who has the budget after you implement? That's the sound bite. That's what we're going to roll with. <laughs> Rob, Rob's giving thumbs up, fingers up. So, um, so yeah, man, that's, that's critical. And why? Now tell me why, because I love where you're going, because I think that there's a, a bunch of great stuff behind this that actually might apply to any sale, not just an enterprise sale. Yeah, well, time is limited for everybody, right? I mean, when you're working in sales cycle, you can't work an infinite amount of sales cycles. You can't build an infinite amount of relationships with everybody in the deal. So what that enables you to do is focus your priorities on the right people in the account. And like I said, if it's one department that's making decisions, it's much simpler. But a lot of times for these you know, 10, 15, $20 million deals, there's four departments that are involved. And the reason why people screw up a lot is because they're saying the right thing to the wrong person. And that person's giving all the positive feedback. Yeah, we love you guys. You're doing amazing, great work. We love your solution. And then, you know, a, a deal gets done. And it's because the VP of IT has a relationship with someone they've been working with that you didn't even know existed, you know? And so by looking at those decision-making funnels by department, let's say finance, ops, and IT is an example, you stack rank them, who has the budget ability now, who owns the, who physically pays it, not who quote unquote, and I'm doing air quotes, makes the decision, right? Yep. Really cuts the check for that right now. And then after you implement, is that going to change? Because if it's going to change, your decision makers could change. You could waste a lot of time with someone who owns it now, but isn't going to own it now. I'll tell you what, that's really good that you say that because that happened to me. 12 months ago, we signed a deal with someone that was bullish, excited, uh, really excited to get it going. We had the right people, the right, you know, everything. And as soon as it was done, turns out someone else owned the project that was not part of any of it and actually resented the fact that it was dropped on them. So we had to start over and like, that's a brutal place to be because you don't gain traction near as fast as you should. And so the fact that you're talking about that early on, I think that's really smart. Now, I want to go to another place. I can't believe how fast time goes. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing as I'm, I, I have to keep track of time because otherwise I'm such a freaking sales nerd. I'll talk about this stuff all day and lose track of time. Um, you, you said something that I think is worth talking about. <clears throat> Most large enterprise deals are highly competitive, okay? You talked about RFPs. Um, I like that. They don't always have to be RFPs, but they're usually highly competitive at the enterprise level. Here's my question. How do you differentiate from competition? How do you make it so you're not just an order taker where they send it out, say, these are the requirements. 
uh, make sure you check all the boxes and then give us a price. How do you make it so you are an orange to everybody else's apple? Is there, I guess the first question is, is that important? And the second question is, how do you do it? Yeah, I, I think it's always important, especially with there's there's more and more transparency that's that's being delivered for every single purchasing decision decision, whether it's at the business to consumer level, like you buying something off Amazon, be able to check it in two minutes, like freaking a dealership, car dealership tried to charge me four hundred dollars and I looked it up in literally 10 seconds and I could find it for $150 somewhere else. You know? Yeah. So, so I was getting ripped off, right? So anybody could do that now. There's so um, and then in terms of like understanding how to, how to stand out, I think there's really two things to focus on, Rob. One yeah. is, and look at it, there's, there's the business strategy that you look at from top to bottom and then horizontally. So let's say from the C-level down to the VP, director, end user, and then their customer. That's really important. So there's the business strategy that you look at, and then there's the people strategy. Mm. People strategy is more around how do you rank your relationship with each one of those people? Remember we did decision funnel, so we prioritize what departments we focus on, one, two, three. Now we're focusing on the levels of those people in those areas. And I like to do this, this is really simple. Anybody can actually implement this. There's three scores of people. A 10 is that person invites you to their kid's birthday party, right? Okay. That's the level of relationship you have. Yep. A five is they'll meet with you and maybe have lunch or a coffee with you. They'll meet one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, a zero is like they want nothing to do with you. So a good way to rate how you stand at the beginning of the sales process, once you start, because then from an ongoing basis, you could understand and identify who you need to focus on to get that score to a 10. So you have an army of people working for you to get your solution implemented. Like so that's, that. the, that's the emotional piece to it. The logical piece is more around the business strategy. And the logical piece is, you know, basically logic is how people make decisions and emotion is what creates action, right? So we just talked about the emotional piece. So I did a little out of order. Logic is there's two types of ROI in my opinion. And we, you talked about this in the summit. I think you, you crushed it when you talked about dollarizing, right? Thank you. I, I love it, man. So similar, and we're brothers from different mothers on this one. All is, right. <laughs> when you look at the logic and I, I'm throwing so much stuff out there, I'm starting to forget where I'm going. So if I'm off, right. I'll keep you, I'll keep you on track, man. It's verbally slapping. <clears throat> so then the, uh, so the, there's the, the financial ROI and the value ROI, the value, the financial ROI is pretty obvious, right? It's how do you quantify the exact return on investment that people are making and the time frame that they're investing um, with the least amount of effort possible. So that's the, the financial ROI. The value ROI, which is the other area I think to focus on, is more around like if there's processes that you're automating, how to quantify that in the tangible hours or full-time equivalents that you're offloading as a result of your project. So basically you're making a quote unquote soft cost into a hard cost. And then the last but not least is bringing that back. And this is what will really differentiate from your editors how that can increase revenue or decrease cost for your customer's customer, right? So if I could free up- Spend a minute on that. I like that. I think that's super smart. Yeah, no problem, man. So let's say, and I'll, I'll give, this is a really easy, tangible example. But let's say you have a software solution 
and it's you're selling to a bank, like a financial yeah. services company. Okay. Your, your software automates the process for, let's say the loan officers or the processors to deal directly with the customer. And it cuts that process time down from 30 minutes to 10 minutes, right? So that's a huge win, you free up all this time. Well, the way to position it is to say, okay, those people can now support three times as many customers if you get them in the door. So if they were doing a million dollars a month in revenue, you could realistically create two extra million dollars of revenue because of the, the value that your solution delivers. I like it. That's super cool. And I think that your customer's customer perspective is one that maybe again is more important at that enterprise level. Uh, you start seeing everything just gets bigger up there. So let's shift again. Um, again, now we're in the fall, end of year's coming. Deals have been in the pipeline for whoever, however long it's been. To the sales leaders that are coaching some of these deals, any pointers on how you can help really know what's forecastable versus what's not? Because missing on the forecast right now, especially with large enterprise, it can really it can really make you a, a sinner or a saint if you're delivering that forecast, right? So coaching it, forecasting it, that whole concept, any thoughts on what leaders can do to, to really get their hands around a, what's going on, but maybe B have an impact in helping them move. Yeah. Yeah. No problem, man. So there's like a framework that, that I created on this and it, it was just kind of organically happening because I realized it was the same questions that you needed to ask people, not just the, the questions that you needed to ask them in the right order so that people would tell you what they were really thinking and wouldn't feel pressed or pushed when you were trying to close them. Okay. So it's kind of structured as there's the three buckets are, where do I stand? How do we get this done? And then um, when do we get this done? Right, notice I said we. So that, that's like the buckets that you put those in. And so I'll go a little bit deeper on each one if that's cool, is that cool? Yeah, do it, yeah. So where do I stand? This is more around the concept of like, hey, you know, um, you could ask questions that are not direct, like, so how do we stand versus our competition? You could ask other questions that are more around the lines of like, hey, with the solution that we put together, Mr. Customer, is there anything that our solution is missing that you really want to see there? When you ask that question, not just to one person, but multiple levels, you ask it to your champion, you ask it to the, their boss, you ask it to the C-level. And what you'll find is they'll inherently tell you what the competitors are proposing that you are lacking in your solution. So it'll, it'll tell you where your shortfall is. The other thing is, is you know, another way to ask it, is there anything else that your, um, the competition has in our solution that you want in ours, right? There's just two different ways to ask kind of similar questions. Um, is there anything that you really, really like in our solution that our competitors are not offering? You know, and so what it starts to give you is a 360 view based on the responses from the different people of what the entire competitive landscape will look like. And they'll even disclose price inadvertently to you. They'll be like, well, your, your solution looks great, but they got this. And you're like, right. oh, well, that's apples to oranges. That's not apples to apples. And here's why. You know, it allows you to cover those objectives. So it's a good framework. Um, thanks, man. You want me to hit the other two? Yeah. So that's where do I stand? That's like sniffing out competition like you're talking about with the RFP. And you'll find you'll find a weird stuff like that. Um, 
The other thing is like, okay, so how do we get this done? Uh, the unique thing is when you're, you're dealing with cross-pollination across multiple departments, a lot of times the buyer doesn't even know their own buying process, you know? <laughs> so with that, right. you have to ask them that question throughout the entire sales cycle to multiple levels. And then you actually have to, when you get to the end, a lot of times you'll find out there'll be an extra step they never told you for the previous six months you're working on it. Well, yeah. so, so I've seen that. Dude, it happens all the time. I don't know why. Yeah, it happens all the time. So let me ask you this. Uh, and I want to finish. I want to get, actually, I'm going to wait. So finish your framework because all three of them, I think, are good. And I, I got some questions about your framework. Okay. So let's get through yeah. that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll wrap it up quick, though. So, so that, um, and what I mean by that is like, okay, so, and this is like the next game, like kind of like a little kid saying why. That's the next game. So it's like, okay, so. They're like, well, I make the decision on it. And then we kind of move through and we'll get this done. It's like, okay, after you make a decision on it, where does this have, who do you have to run it by, right? You give them an out to still have them wear the big boy pants or the big girl pants. Then after you talk to that, where does it go? Is there a committee? Is there a box you have to check with your CFO? Is there, and you run through these scenarios and basically you can architect the rest of the decision process. And also that'll identify areas with like, legal and um, sourcing and other hidden, I don't know, say landmines that pop up. And then the last but not least one is how or when do we get this done? That's like what you're talking about, about co-authoring a plan, co-authoring a closing plan. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. So this is a great segue. So finish what you're talking about. And then I want to shift to that. Yeah. Yeah, man. So yeah, and this is really simple. So that's when do we get this done? It's like, okay, this is at the point where they're like, we're going to get married. We're doing this, right? You're like, okay, so now what do we need to do to get the contract signed? Well, we got to do this and this and this and talk to this. Okay, then, you know, so what's the time frame on which we can get that done based on your past experience? Well, usually that process takes three to four weeks. Okay, okay. after that, um, it's going to take us, we need three weeks of lead time to implement. So who do we need to, what project manager do you have? What people do we need to make aware of that? And then what you start doing is you drop this into almost like a, a project, a closing project plan of dates, times, and people, and then they agree to it. So now it's your job to hold them accountable and press to make sure that that actually happens. It's good. So <clears throat> I have a lot of people that ask me about mutual close plans, mutual action plans, mutual success plans. Uh, I don't know what the best title for it is. I know that if you call it a mutual close plan to a customer, <laughs> that's probably the wrong thing to call it to a customer. Yeah. But when you're coaching it, like you just gave me a killer framework. Where do we stand? I love that. There's like, you know, where are we ranked? You know, how we stand versus your competitors? Where are you leaning? Do we have the votes that we need? Blah, blah, blah. How do we get this done? You know, that could create a blueprint right there. And then when do we get this done? Do you ever recommend turning that into like a formalized mutual action plan? I mean, have you done that? Do you recommend that? Have you seen that be helpful? When do you do that? I know like organizations like Salesforce don't let you go past the discovery situation without having a formalized mutual close plan. And so um, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it depends, man. Like I had the luxury or the uh, awesome benefit of leveraging Microsoft Dynamics for our CRM. Yep. Uh, which, you know, it was fine. <laughs> um, that's not Microsoft. They're, they're, they're great people over there. I love yep. them. You know? Okay. <laughs> Rob's smiling. 
Um, so what I would say is like really simple and this might be draconian. So after you talk to them, then you put it on the like, so basically like the pre-proposal, the pre-final numbers meeting, you go through this, this closing plan with them, this mutual success plan, if you will. And basically you get the dates and the players from the customer. Okay. And then when you're at the proposal meeting, you have that on a one-page slide of all the dates and meeting times. And then when you're there with the customer, you actually drop those on the calendar if you have it ready. Love it. Yeah. So would you recommend to people that are doing enterprise sales that, that a plan like that or a like a, a structured because to me, it really helps the coaching process. And to me, it provides that more than just a roadmap to winning. To me, it like it, it, it empowers the customer, makes them a, a participant and not a spectator. It, it makes them involved because if they help make that, then all of a sudden things change. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's just, it, yeah, you definitely. I think that's the number one thing is shortening sales process and shortening the sales process at the end because if you have their buy-in they're they own it with you it's not like you pushing it's us working on it together we are we are working to get this done for your project and here's the thing rob these big deals there's a lot of resources required so part of it is identifying resource management and and integrating it and making it simple and one of the number one reasons why people buy is because you're easy to work with. And this makes you easy to work with because you tell them exactly what needs to be done and do it on their terms. Is there a best way to introduce something like that when you're talking to a customer to say, hey, you know, we're going to do this mutual action plan. Do you have any advice to people on, because I know a lot of people think about it. I have one of my private coaching customers mm-hmm. that I just, like literally it was two days ago in our, in our coaching session that we had, uh, she had told me, Hey, I want my team to get tighter on what they're working on. And I want my leaders to get better at helping coach those deals. And one of the things that I suggested was a mutual action plan. And so we're putting that together right now and and making that be part of how they introduce this, but they've never done it before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they sell some pretty nice, you know, they, they have a complex sales process. And so she loves it. The other leader that I'm working with there loves it. They're a little nervous. How do we introduce this? in October to try and win business before, you know, end of year. Any thoughts around that? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And so I think like when you're working with the customer, a real simple way is like, Hey, the most successful rollouts and projects that we've done, we just, we're, we're in alignment with, with what we're working on together to get this wrapped up. And so, you know, Mr. Customer, you just naturally like ask them the questions, like yeah. like I was saying. But then what you do is after you have those questions, like let's say on the strategy meeting or the pre-proposal meeting, where you go through like the numbers and the ROI. When you go through the proposal, you say, "Hey, this is how I understood our conversation based on the feedback you gave me of what we needed to do to get this wrapped up." And then you you walk them through it and have them verify and say, "Hey, did I miss anything? Is this time frame still relevant? And is is there any concerns you have with?" executing on these timelines because then you're not the pushy sales guy jamming them you're just asking them questions you know and walking through it love it all right we're, we're i know we're we've come up to where you got a hard stop man and and uh <clears throat> excuse me i have two more things i want to talk to you about quickly before i let you go okay mm-hmm. number one if there's like as you look at we didn't even talk to talk about like how covid has has 
impacted enterprise sales as you've shifted to the inside. Is there only like one thing that you would say you've got to make sure you get this right if you want to be winning in the enterprise today in the current environment? Yeah, I, I would say that <clears throat> the number one thing or there, so C-level executives, because there's more risk in terms of making these decisions and making investments, what you're starting to see is there's like CFOs of big companies that are getting involved in deals that would never even have thought or touched it before. So it's a really unique opportunity. So what I would say is you have to be really sharp on the ROI, not over three years or five years, but the immediate ROI and mm. minimizing the risk on the customer side. Like that sounds like so simple and so cliche, but you have to show like an ROI fast, you know, almost like a 12 month ROI and then total program ROI. And then the minimal amount of resources, you have to be crystal clear on that. So I would say those are the biggest things just because people are trying to make up the revenue that they lost from the beginning of the year. Yeah, man, I would tell you, I don't think anybody's making controversial decisions right now. Everybody needs almost to have consensus or else they're not doing anything right now, for mm-hmm. sure. Totally. And, and every deal is landing on the CFO's desk at this point. Totally. And so if the CFO didn't used to be your customer, she or he is now. So, okay, uh, last one for me, and then um, we'll finish the way we finish everything. You mentioned the importance of focusing on self as we started. You mentioned not getting run through the machine. I I remember when I started at a large financial institution, it was my first day on the job. I got in the elevator. I was going up to the 19th floor where my office was. And one of the senior executives looked at me and he knew I was starting there to run sales for him. And as I rode up the elevator, he's like, just so you know, here's my advice. This place will suck as much out of you as you let it. Make sure you save some for yourself. Wow. And um, <laughs> we're fuzzies with that one, huh? When you're walking into that. Yeah, I was like, oh. And, um, and so you made some changes yourself. Any suggestions to sales leaders that are listening? You got, you got thousands of sales leaders that are going to be downloading this. Uh, it, it, it's a worldwide show with lots of people that are listening to it. Any, any kind of final thoughts around the importance of taking care of yourself and making sure you're oriented to something that matters to you rather than just the job? Yeah. No, and that's a great question, Rob. And I'm, I care deeply about this subject because like I told you earlier, I yeah. lost everything. So what I would say the number one thing to do is we got a lot of, if anybody's listening to your show, there are people that make make shiitake happen. There are people that are like type A, hard drivers, otherwise they wouldn't be in the position they're in. And the number one thing that helped me break through is when I not only set goals and planned what I wanted to do with work and my financial objectives, but when I did that with every part of my life. So I did that with my family, how much time I wanted to focus on with my friends, with my fitness, with um, how I would grow and how I would learn. And once I started looking at that holistically and, and set priorities and goals for every part of my life, that's when everything changed because I started to be more well-rounded, which gave me my life back. Super. Thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's so important. We're finding that right now, like the mental health side of, of the sales world is becoming more and more important. And I still don't think it's talked well enough. I, I don't think we give it enough in, uh, focus. And so... I think it's really remarkable that you're willing to make those changes for yourself and those other relationships. And, and it led you to starting something that you're passionate about and doing well with. So at first I congratulate you for success, but more important, I, I, I respect you for your willingness to put first things first. So 
good job, man. Thanks, man. And can I have one last thing to it that everybody's going to love? Which yes. Probably going to do it. Yep. Is once I did that, I was happier and my results were significantly better. It seems wow. counterintuitive, but it, it made my results better. And like things happened in my life and I met people that I never even imagined or dreamed of meeting, meeting prior to that happening. That is a great way to end our conversation. Okay. <laughs> I finished everything with rapid fire. Three questions. You ready? Let's go. Okay. Biggest sales leadership challenge you're observing right now. And, and what do you think is the roadmap to beating it? Biggest sales leadership challenge, I would say, is not understanding the personality strengths and weaknesses of every one of your direct reports and managing them accordingly. I got um, some of the best results, and I had every basically <laughs> every area of the disc chart, disc chart for disc profiling represented on my team, and each one of them had their own unique strengths and weaknesses, and I yeah. had to augment with those. Nice. So, so for a sales leader that's listening, what's something they should be making sure they're paying attention to in order to overcome that challenge in their world? Yeah, real simple. So you got the extroverts, the introverts, the, the, the D's and the I's, they want more high level and they are more extroverted. Attention to detail is not something they're strong at. And a lot of times process is something that they're weak at. This isn't total case, but not, this is the, uh, the generalities you see on the, the S and the C side, if they have that kind of personality trait, they are going to be really good at following process and details with what they're doing, but they're going to have a harder time asking the hard questions and pressing people. Um, like I said, these are just general stereotypes, not specific. So if you can leverage your strengths to augment where you know they're weak and then pump them up on their strengths, great things will happen. Love it. Okay. Next one. Um, you've built teams, you've helped people build teams. When you're interviewing people to build teams, do you have a go-to interview question or topic that you like? And when you leverage it, what are you looking for? Yeah, so um, there's two kind of things that I focus on. So I'm totally not answering your question the way you asked it, so I apologize. That's all right. Um, I look at the, the one question that I love to ask is what do you do to develop yourself? And it might sound like really simple, but like, and they're like, well, what do you mean like that? I, I do this or I do that. I mean, like, so on a weekly basis, what do you do to develop yourself personally to learn and grow? And that'll give you insight in terms of the psychology of the person. Do they listen to podcasts? Do they read books? Do they just talk to other people? Um, you'll find a lot of different feedback mechanisms from that. And if someone's like, well, you know, I just work hard at work. You don't want that person. You know, you want someone who's really focused on developing themselves as a whole and has that growth mindset. The other one that I like is focusing around their values and really getting the core to that. And so like, it, that's a harder question, but it's more around like, basically, you know, what, what are the most important things in your life outside of work? What are the things, and these are great to ask customers too. What are the most important things that you like to spend time on? outside of work or if you have free time outside of work and that'll start to directionally show you what they really care about and what they value love it last one man leaders are readers and what we found is i don't care if it's pages that you're turning or um audibles you're listening to or if you want bite-sized chunks like blogs or podcasts is there anything you would recommend to our listeners that they make sure that they get a hold of and and, and uh, try to leverage 
Yeah, I, I say like 80% of um, of success is based on psychology, in my opinion, in business. And, you know, there's a lot of people that will echo that. Some things that I love is high performance habits from Brennan Bouchard. Um, if you, I usually get a book and listen to it on Audible and I'll listen to it. So then I can alternate and get the book done in a timely manner. Uh, another one was uh, Kevin Hart, The Decision. Have you ever read that? Or heard I that? haven't, but people have said that that's a good one. You're the, you're the third person, I think, to say that to us. Oh, so <clears throat> here's what's great about it. It's, it's around personal development, but it's like a stand-up routine. So wow. you'll be like, I was like riding my bike laughing my butt off because I'm like listening to what he's saying and he's doing like a spiel around it. So those are, those are two great, great assets I'd recommend. Okay. Well, we're out of time, man. This has been killer. How do people get more of you? If they want to connect with you, if they want to pick up your content, they want to you know register for your event, the, the summit that you got coming up, uh, or, or any anything else. How do they get more of what you're putting out there? Yeah, sure. So um, the Enterprise Sales Summit, it's going to be www.enterprise sales summit. There's 28 speakers. Rob's one of them absolutely crushed it. And there's everything from the front end prospecting business development to the middle pipeline execution to next generation sales. And so that's covered. There's 28 speakers. It's free. So all you got to do is sign up, check that out. Um, that's where they could learn more about the summit. In terms of me, I mean, just check me out on LinkedIn, connect me, DM me. I'm right there for you. You know, if you need anything, I love answering questions and, and posting content. And Rob, even if you want, um, I can include those questions that I had, that closing guide that I told you about. It's yep. really simple. It's just a PDF. I can give you the link for that. People can get that for free as well. Yeah, let's do that. Send that, send that over. and and or, or if you even know the link, we can put it in, but we'll make it easy for people to get. So that's awesome. Ryan, thank you so much. Ryan, uh, Ryan Staley, he's helping people fish at the top of the food chain. Uh, he's helping, he's helping organizations solve problems at, at high, high levels, shrink cycle time, win bigger deals and do it faster than they ever thought possible. This has been a killer conversation. I appreciate you sharing insights around the enterprise. And to you, my friend, I say, like I say to all happy selling. Yeah. Thanks Rob. It was awesome being on. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. Listen, companies spend billions each year on sales training. They spend even more billions on sales tools. Tack on a few more billion on sales process, and you can see that companies have taken investing in salespeople very seriously. And those investments are important. But these same companies invest almost nothing on training managers in hopes for them to become better leaders and coaches. And that's a really interesting dilemma because so many studies show that the number one thing managers can do to improve performance is to provide better coaching. But most managers are never taught how to be a sales leader. They get the job, they get the team, and then they get the quota, and then they get left on their own. They turn to metrics, they create dashboards, they try to put every rep into the same box rather than help them become the best version of themselves. So if you're in this boat or if you just want to find a way to raise your sales leadership game, you need to check out the Jepson Performance Group. I'm having a blast working with sales leaders looking to raise their game and create impact they've never created. My program targets three areas, the leadership mindset, the leadership skill set, and world-class leadership performance. As you prepare for what will most certainly be a new environment in 2021, 
each sales leader will most certainly have to adapt. And I'm here for you. Whether it's joining my Patreon group, Sales Leadership United, check it out. It's growing fast. Whether it's providing fast-track training for new managers, one of my favorite things to do, to compress the time it takes to be high impact from like 18 months down to three or four months. Whether it's joining uh, either of those programs or maybe having a custom executive coaching program, I want to help you create as much impact as possible with the people you lead. Right now, I'm doing fun things like creating virtual sales academies, virtual kickoff conferences, developing proprietary brand new leadership systems for, for market leaders that want to stay in first place all so they can kick off 2021 with a bang. It is, I just love working with sales leaders and helping them find ways to create impact they've never created. So if you want to be legendary, hit me up. How You Lead Matters, and I would love to help you navigate that sales leadership maze. Now, Ryan. Ryan's done amazing things for helping people sell to the enterprise. I have more and more of my customers and my colleagues asking for help in shifting to the enterprise for, than ever before. So when I met Ryan, I was excited to have him on the show to discuss selling to these large, iconic companies. There's so many reasons why the enterprise is a different beast. I've seen it chew salespeople up and spit them out, but I've also seen it change a salesperson's career. And Ryan is a great example of this. Everything is bigger in the enterprise. The number of users, the number of buyers, the sales total, the risk to the buyer, the reward to the seller, the length of the sales cycle, everything. It's all bigger. It's a high stakes game and it requires a different kind of business acumen and a different kind of conversation with the client. You need to be an expert. Someone they're comfortable betting their badge on. You can't just be a vendor. So it, you know, it isn't something you can just wake up in the morning one day and say, hey, I'm going to be working enterprise deals today. When you choose to chase these deals, the cost of winning is high and the cost of losing can be even higher. So you need to have a different uh, process and intent around how you do this. So it was really interesting to get Ryan's take on managing the enterprise. I particularly like his emphasis on working with the person who will own the project post-sale as part of the sales process. It's great advice. I've seen that kill deals time and time again. And it's something I've never thought of. It's something I'd never considered. And I can see why that would be something that would be really impactful to a salesperson. I also think that that will help in other sales as well. If you're selling to the mid-market or the SMB, probably something worth adding to your bag of tricks. So... The rest of this episode was fantastic. I love his approach to differentiation, to creating influence, creating consensus. They're all things you should go back and listen to because they require plans. They require systems. They require intent. But if you really want to get inside on selling to the enterprise, here's my best advice. Go register for Ryan's Enterprise Sales Summit. Uh, it's, it's, it's the first conference I've seen of its kind that's focused on the enterprise. I want you to go to this website, www EnterpriseSalesSummit.com. I'll say it again. www.EnterpriseSalesSummit.com. Register for it. There are some of the best speakers in the business there. You will not regret signing up for this one. I promise. In fact, this is how you know I'm not lying. Many of the guests that Ryan has, I mean, many of the, guests, the speakers that Ryan has speaking were guests on this show. So I know you liked people like Todd Capone, Jake Dunlap. Sam Jacobs, Katie Ivey, Justin Welsh, Scott Lease, and many, many more. Uh, in fact, I'll be, pick, I'll be uh, reaching out to some of these other speakers on this, on this summit and bringing them to you on the podcast. This summit goes live October 27 through 29. Hurry and sign up now. Um, it's a first-class event. I'm super proud to be part of it. I'm speaking on modern-day sales leadership. I want you to listen to this, to this show today, this podcast, and then go sign up for that event. 
I get zero compensation for promoting it. I just think it's good advice and I think it's something you won't want to miss. So Ryan, thank you for joining us. Selling to the enterprise is a big deal. It is a different beast and you need to be ready if that's where you want to be. My advice, hit him up if you have questions for him. And at the very least, connect with Ryan, follow his content and register for his content for his conference. You'll be glad you did. And to each of you, our listeners, thank you. I appreciate your support of the show more than you know. I'm appreciative to those who continue to leave reviews. Mention us on LinkedIn. Tell your colleagues to check out the show. The show is growing and it's growing because of you. Your support is why the show is growing so fast. If you've been thinking about heading me up about how you do the one-on-one, stop thinking about it. Shoot me a message. It's no strings attached offer. I want to help you if I can do it in any way possible. So, you know, here's to, here's to selling at the top of the food chain. Here's to helping your organization figure out how to sell to those large enterprise clients. And while they do have a different set of risks, They also have a different set of rewards. And if you can figure it out, they can be game changers. So thanks to each of you for listening. Thanks for sharing our show with those you work with. And as always, don't worry, just execute because we got you. 